five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Episode 83 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining him as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? Uh, we're doing okay, Mike. Good workout this morning. Uh, <laughs> a little tired after it, but... <laughs> or I should be. I think I'll, I think I'll survive. <laughs> well, you better be tired after it, okay? You shouldn't be not tired or you haven't done anything. Yeah, no, I had a good one this morning, and I hadn't been a couple of days, so uh, it was a little bit tougher than normal, but that's okay. Well, that's all good. Well, listen, we've got a good, great guest today, a good guy we know, uh, was selected by the Leafs in 1964, enjoyed an 11-year pro career in the NHL and WHA, so we've got a lot to talk about there. I has worked with the NHL Players Association, an active Leaf alumni, he was president, I believe, for a few years. Uh, he worked with the NHL uh, alumni. He's a member of the Etobicoke Sports Hall of Fame. I think we've pumped his tires and out there, Squid. So here we go. We, we want to welcome Mike Pellick. Mike, first off, thanks for joining us. And how you keep him, my man? Oh, life is good under these times, right? With just a day at a time. And uh, hopefully we'll all get through it. And uh, you know what? I don't know if normal life will be what it was before but we'll be back to some 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 kind of normalcy what when the sort of smoke clears i guess so now how you been keeping busy throughout all you of said it? you said one mike oh. you said one day at a time i've been doing that for 10 years now yeah, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh mike i'm i'm almost fully retired now i've been i was in the shopping center business and i worked for you know, people like Loblaws, Hudson's Bay, yeah. uh, pension funds, um, all in real estate, uh, mostly retail, commercial, some industrial, but uh, basically in development uh, right across Canada. Fantastic. Um, wow. So are you going to play in the Heritage game next week? Any more hockey still in your site? No. <laughs> no? I play, we have a group. <laughs> Uh, here in Etobicoke called the Etobicoke Old Timers. We have our own dressing room at the Ford Center. Yeah. And uh, I play twice a week, uh, Thursdays and Sunday, Sunday mornings. And, uh, you know, good group of guys. And, uh, you know, we go for breakfast or go for um, dinner after on Thursday nights to a different place every every night. And uh, it's fun. Well, you know, it's uh, you got your own dressing room with a beer fridge and uh, – and you get to hang up your equipment. You never have to lug your equipment out. Just have to bring your laundry in the next day. It's fantastic. Jeez, that's the life. Squid, you got to get involved in one of those gigs. Yeah, no, I, that's a long way to drive for me. But, uh, Mike's around the corner, for God's sake. He, he yeah. doesn't have any trouble getting there. No, it would take me an hour and a half every time I, I went there. So. Yeah, or, and you know what, Squid? Someday. Squid, we wouldn't want you hurting our goalies either, okay? They're not used to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why, well, he'd bring that 40-pound uh, lottery with them. We just hurt their feelings, Mike, putting the scoring all the time. That's well, all. yeah, well, I don't mind if you score, Rick. It's when you hit one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then we don't have a backup. We have no backup. We have two goalies, that's it, but no backup. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> You're out. Well, now, now, Mike, before we start, we love nicknames on this show. Now, I must admit, I didn't know this one, but I'm going to read this one up for neither did Squid and neither did Paul Patsko, who is the ultimate Leaf historian. And I'm telling you to stump him, this is one, but Michael Joseph Mike Makita Pellick. That's one of them, yeah. What is behind that oh. one? Even okay. Squid was stumped. Well, I'll tell you, like, when I first turned pro and I got called up to Leafs, the very first game I played, I played in Chicago against the Blackhawks. And for some reason, there were two players on the Blackhawks I always loved. I loved Pierre Pilat, who eventually became my roommate when he came to mm -hmm. Toronto. And I loved Stan Makita. Mm -hmm. And 
So I always used to like, you know, watch what he did on the ice and think, well, maybe I could do that. I could never do it, but I'll tell you an interesting. So I kept saying, you know, boy, I love that stand. So guys start calling me Makita, you know, and I try to handle the puck and pass it. You know, usually I give it away to the other team though. And, but one day he was in the Maple Leaf Gardens uh, kitchenette at the front of them, Maple Leaf Gardens. And I saw him sitting there prior to their pregame skate on a Saturday. And I was looking at him sitting at a table. They were having a coffee and a sandwich. And I'm watching him. He's smoking, right? And I'm looking at him. I'm going, man, he smokes. And so I kind of casually went over and I said hi. And they didn't really know who I was. But I kind of looked and I saw there's a package of larks, you know, on the table. And he pulled out a lark and he was smoking a lark. And I went, God, if he can smoke larks, I'm going to try smoking them. Oh, about two weeks later, we went to Chicago. I bought a carton of Larks, okay? And I brought them home and I started smoking, right? And I kept smoking and smoking. And finally, I went, oh, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I feel terrible. <laughs> like, like I'm coughing and spitting crap up constantly. So that name kind of stuck with me. And then my other nickname, Roger Nielsen gave it to me. And he called me Cheetah. And I said... Rod, Rod, why are you calling me cheetah? He said, because you know what, Mike, when you're out there, you're actually faster than you look. Well, that's not a bad, that's not too bad. Oh, no. I, hey, I loved Roger. Roger was like uh, one of my favorite guys. I mean, uh, not only uh, you know, like a very innovative coach, obviously, but like an, like really a guy that tried so hard at everything he did. Like I, I used to play tennis with him. Right. And he was a terrible tennis player. Right. But competitive. And you'd win three love, three love, three love. And you'd say, okay, Raj, that's it. No more. Okay. One more set, one more set. <laughs> and he wouldn't give up. Right. Finally, you just have to say, Raj, I quit. Right. Yeah. I got a lot of good. Yeah, Raj, Roger was a, yeah, Roger was a real good man. I, I remember going up working at his hockey school in Peterborough uh, every summer, and uh, he was just a wonderful person. Uh, yeah. I never played for him, so I don't know what he was like as a coach, obviously, but um, but he was a wonderful person uh, to everybody at the hockey school. Yeah, I would say as a coach, obviously, every, I mean, everybody remembers him as Captain Video, but in yeah. terms of being innovative, number one, in terms of being really good on, on the defensive part of the game, I don't think he had any peers. When it came to the offensive part of the game, it was basically up to the players who were on the ice to figure it out because Raj wasn't a big offensive type guy, but he knew how to shut down people. He knew how to like he knew how to control a game from the defensive standpoint. And he always his sort of his his mindset was always if we can shut them down defensively the offense will take care of itself. And he always had good offensive players. You know, that's the one thing about him. He stressed a lot of defense, but he had a lot of good offensive players. Well, Mike, we want to go back and uh, get back to the beginning with you. And for some of the younger listeners out there, they may not know of this, but back in the day, and we, and we are certainly not throwing stones here because we're, <laughs> racist, we're all on the same kind of level. But with the draft being on the dirt from the dreaded C form, you were selected by Toronto, the Leafs, before you played for the Marlboros. Can you kind of explain to the listeners how that all worked? Well, what used to happen is they the Leafs then they had this, as you say, this C form. And what they asked you to do when you were 15 was to sign this C form, which gave them exclusive rights to you, okay, if you turn pro. Yep. And and they would give you a hundred dollars to sign this C form. Yeah, a hundred bucks. You know, well, when you're 15, you know, my parents never well, had yeah. money. It was like, hey, this is a big deal. But I never signed a C form. There were a lot of other players that did. Whether if it would have could have could have held up in court, I don't know. But there were a lot of players that signed them. And really, from that time on, you were leaf property. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, yes. if you played for the Marlies. Uh, growing up in the Marley organization. And then you went to play junior. You'd play 
uh, you could play it. Well, at that time, when I first started, St. Mike's was still around. Neil McNeil was one yep. of their schools. If you didn't make the Marlies, they sent you to uh, London to play for the London Knights. And then basically you turned pro and, you know, really there was no other place to go. Well, yep. That's it. A lot of, a lot wow. of guys that came up through the Marley organization uh, didn't turn pro. They ended up going to university and then deciding whether they wanted to play pro after. So, yeah, it was kind of a, uh, I, I don't know what the what proper term is, but basically, you know, you were part of the family from the time you were 15 to whenever you decided you were not going to play pro anymore. Now, where were you, Mike, where were you playing at the time when they approached you about that C form? Uh, I was playing major midget. Uh, well, actually, I was 15. I was playing major midget for the Marlies in the THL then. Yeah. And then they had the yeah. the uh, the 15-year-old draft, right? when you're turning 16 and I think I, if I remember correctly, I think I ended up being drafted 17th, which would have put me in the third round because there was only six teams there. Yeah. In 19, so Marley's I spent a couple years with the Marley's. I want to talk about 67 and the Memorial cup team. You guys were loaded with Jerry Meehan, Brad Park, yourself, Brian Glenny, Tom Martin, Tom Cap Terry Caffrey just goes on. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that year because lots of great stuff happened. Well, um, what are some of the key things? Uh, the big line for us, obviously, in the uh, road of the Memorial Cup was um, was really Doug Acomb, Richie Braze, and Frank Hamill. Frank Hamill was about five foot three. <laughs> Richie Braze weighed about <laughs> one forty. And Dougie Acomb weighed about 155. And they were like unsung heroes. I mean, they played so well in the playoffs. Um, we had Bob Whitten and Gary Edwards yep. for goalies. And Cam Newton came up and filled in when Bob Whitten got hurt. Um, we played um, Kitchener Rangers, who finished way above us. I think we finished seventh in the league. We ended up playing the Kitchener Rangers and beat them out in six games. And then we end up going to play you played Thedford, Thedford Mines. That's Thedford what I want to get. I want to get into these guys. Thedford. That was uh, that was okay. So, so Mike, going in talking about this thing, a lot of people probably don't understand what you're talking about because of the Memorial Cup the way yeah, it is now. True. But yeah. back then, you know, there was you had to go through two or three different teams in order to win. That's right. After you won your own, after you won your own league. Yeah, you win the OHA. Right. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people understand that. That's right. That's good points, yeah. Fred. So, so we had to play the winners of the Quebec Junior League, which was mm -hmm. Thedford Mines, which is you know south of the St. Lawrence. It was a mining town. Uh, avid hockey fans. Uh, we went in there. I had no idea. I was going to university at the time. They flew me down the day of the game. Had a car meet me in uh, Quebec City and drive me to the game. I got to the game about 20 minutes before the game started. <laughs> we ended up beating them that game, but the fans were awful. Yeah. They used to make these balls out of out of asbestos, okay? They're like uh, Indian rubber balls, and they yeah. throw them at us on the ice. And those things hurt, right? So uh, good story. So the first night we beat them, and they're – they're pelting us with, with these things. And I'm, I'm like my buddy, Chris Evans, who played defense with me. I said, you know, I've had enough of this. And then they followed us all the way back to the motel and they were honking at us and, and throwing stuff at us. We went to a depanier and we bought two dozen eggs, Chris and I, and we got behind a snowbank. Okay. And as these cars came by, we let them have it with the eggs, right? <laughs> and of course, then we ran back to our rooms, right? And like, oh yeah. So we beat them, and then we they came. They had to come up to Toronto to play us, and then we thrashed them in Toronto, and they were gone. But they well, had like, talk about uh, they had some really good players, like that. Mark Arthur. Tardif. Yeah, I think Reggie Hool played on that team. They had, yeah. they had a good team, but you know, just 
luck of the fates, we got the brakes and got the jump on them, and they never recovered. Well, then we want to get into Port Arthur, Thunder Bay, and this oh, team. Oh, please. They, had, they were allowed to bring in <laughs> extra players, so they brought in six ringers to play against you guys, and this team was, well, you can tell that they were tough. Well, they the, not only were they, they brought players in from their own circuit, and then they got to bring in three players from the Western Hockey League. So they brought in Yuha Weeding, who played for the LA Kings. Yep. They brought yep. in uh, Jerry Hart. Yep. who played for the Islanders, the defensemen. And they brought in Billy Fairburn, right? And yep. we played in the Port Arthur rink, and it was jam-packed. Every game was jam-packed. We ended up beating them up. They had Bob Battleship Kelly. Yeah. And he was running out on. He was punching everybody out. Right? He was killing <laughs> us all. But, you know, again, you know, we had a better team, and uh, we ended up winning. We're, we're happy to get out of there. And – uh, little known fact, Gus Bodner, who was our coach, he was born and raised in Thunder Bay. So, you know, <laughs> he was really happy when we won. I'm sure. Now, then talk about out west when you went to go play for the cup. That's well, we act that's where we played for the cup. Oh, you played there? Oh, okay. So, yeah, we played there. Oh. That, they were the reps from Western Canada. Oh, okay. Okay. And they okay. were allowed to pick up three extra players plus what they picked up in their own little division. Oh, I thought you had another round you had to go. Well, no, what I was getting, that was it. Well, wasn't there one incident I thought when you were back, going back to your hotel, you got followed again by guys, oh. and then there's something about a car getting kicked or something, and that, that nobody's yeah, ever owned up to it. I lost my cool again, and guys were like hounding us and throwing stuff at us and throwing bottles at us and everything, and these guys kept circling around. We were walking back from the rink to the hotel, yeah. and the guy came up, and he was just – like he couldn't stop. He was spitting and throwing stuff. I went up and I, I was really, there was about three or four of us. I just, I don't know what got into me. I just hauled off and kicked the door of his car and put a huge dent into his car. <laughs> and we go back to the hotel and we're about in our room and I knock, knock on the door. It's Jim Gregory. He goes, um, did you walk back from the rink? Yeah. Anything happened on the way to the rink? No, nothing happened, Jim. There was a, People hounding us and that, but we got back okay. He goes, well, when are you guys kicked in the side of a car? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Who was that? No idea, right? Uh, he already knew. He knew what it was. But, yeah, that was that was a uh, it was a different experience, right? They, were, uh, they had a tough team, but you know what? We had the better team. Yep. You guys were. Yeah, it was uh, – I remember a time – when I played in Sherbrooke, we were playing uh, – well, we played Shawinigan at home. And the, the record for the most goals in the league was 21 in a game. So we had – we were up 21 to 3. And our coach pulls a goalie. We got a face-off in their end <laughs> in, like, with about 20 seconds left. He wants to break the record, so he pulls a goalie. And we win the draw back. And of course, who's there for the shot is me. So I score the goal. Now we got to go back into Schwinnigan. And they weren't drawing hardly anybody. The place was full. And they were throwing all kinds of stuff at us. <laughs> Our coach got hit in the head with a with a, a bowl with meat still on it. And someone probably just had a steak or something and <laughs> took it to the right through it. So we went through a few of those things too. And uh, I remember playing for the Allen, or not the Allen Cup, but the Tier uh, 2 Championship. And it was like the Memorial Cup back then, too, when you used to win the Maritimes and then you used to have to play the winner of Ontario, Quebec. And then you would have to, if you won that, you would go to the West. Sure. And uh, so things are a lot different now that people don't understand those things. I don't no. think that many people. They think the Memorial Cup has always been the way it is now. Wow. That was a long road to win the cup back in the day. And that, that, that was the real true champion. And it was yeah. a real slug. I can tell you, you guys know. Um, so Mike, talk about uh, you, your first leaf camp. So yeah. well, I guess where I'm going with it is things are a little different. And here's another thing, six teams, 120 jobs only in the league. Here's you guys. And these guys were set in those positions for some time. The vets 
weren't always real friendly to rookies coming into the league. They were today. Like Jim McKenney told us Davey Kian didn't speak to him for like two years. Well, How that's because you... Howie was in Rochester. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find your first visit with these guys or attending your first camp? Well, um, I was still eligible to play junior and I got invited to go to camp. So I go to camp and um, we're staying at the Empress Hotel in downtown Peterborough. And there's, uh, I, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, but I get up there and I'm on the floor and I'm looking for my room. I go to my room and there's, it, it's a long skinny room and there's two beds that are kind of like normal beds. And then there's what looks like a cot at the end of the, it's like a, not even a, like a single, it's smaller than a single. I figure, well, you know, I'm sleeping. In, I got this bed, right? Anyway, Rick Foley and I think Jerry Meehan might have been our other roommate. But anyway, Rick Foley, we couldn't use the bathtub in the room because Rick filled it full of ice and he kept beer in the bathtub, okay? <laughs> so I throw my stuff on the ground and uh, on the on the floor and I walk on the hallway and the first guy I meet is Dick Duff's brother, Les Duff. Okay. I don't know Les Duff from Adam. I know I, I know he's from Rochester because I I'd sat on the bench for one game in Rochester. Never, never got on the ice because Joe Crozier, if they got on the ice, you got a hundred bucks. If you sat on the bench, you only got 50. <laughs> so I sat the whole game on the bench. Anyway, he introduces himself and he says to me, he says, uh, do you want to see my comic book? A collection and i'm like what i said sure so he takes me down to his room he's in a room two beds and beside his beds are stacks of comics okay superman <laughs> batman yeah. and he goes like take it if you want some to read take them and i'm like uh, no i'm i'm in i'm in my second year university already i'm like i'm, I'm out of the comic <laughs> books right <laughs> so then uh, we go down for a weigh-in. Oh, first of all, I get to uh, my dressing room. And at that time, there was like six change rooms in Peterborough. And I'm in the sixth room. And my number is like 135 or 140 or whatever, right? And I go in the room and who's sitting directly across from me is Bob Battleship Kelly. Oh, yeah. And I'm going, oh God, you know, like this, this is not a good feeling. So now we go for a way in. So you had to go on the other side. I get in the line for the way up. And here's this guy in front of me who's about five foot nine or five foot ten. He's about three feet wide. Okay. And he's got hair from the back of his neck all the way down right to his ankles, right? And he's got these this greasy black hair, right? And I'm going, who the hell is this guy? And I'm following along behind, behind, behind. And as we get close to the old way scale where they put the the uh, the plates on, Bobby Haggard is running the way in. And I hear, and uh, Bobby Haggard says, Bruce Gamble. And Bruce Gamble says, Bob, 222. So <laughs> Haggy puts the, the weights on, slides the one that's the 25 pounder, and it sort of he's got his finger on it. He goes, Okay, Bruce Campbell, 222. <laughs> and he's gone. And he probably weighed 240 or 245. And I go to get on the scale, right? And he goes, How much do you weigh? I go, I don't know, maybe. You, I might weigh 175 or whatever. And yeah. he puts on 175. He goes, 175. He didn't even wait. He just said 175. That's it. You're gone. So that's how that's how we started. And you know what? They were we we basically always practiced with the guys that were American leaguers, central leaguers, eastern leaguers, guys that played for Victoria yeah. in the Western Hockey League. Very rarely do we get on the ice with the the Leaf team. 
until we'd been at training camp. Like training camp was six weeks then, right? Yeah. So after about the third or fourth week, they'd start to work into the lineup a bit, right? Who was the guy with the long hair? Bruce Campbell. Oh, it was him with the hair that long? <laughs> yeah. Oh. The long hair coming down the back. Yeah. Holy yeah, Great God. guy, too. Like a fantastic person, right? Oh, um, that's unbelievable. It's kind of funny how that's kind of funny how things worked back then. If you were a player that was on the team for several years, you just walk in and told the trainer, yeah, I'm 222. Yeah. Yep, 222. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're a rookie. Very informal, right? And, uh, yeah. but it was a, it was a good experience. I, I mean, I, I want, I, I planned on going back to junior because I wanted to finish my third year at U of T. And I came back uh, to the Marlies and Gus Bodner, you know, I had, we had a couple of practices and a couple of games and, you know, he came to me and he said, look, I, I want to sit down with you and uh, uh, you and Jim after practice. I sat down and said, look, they, they don't want to, they don't want us to sign you for the year. They want you to turn pro. And I went, oh. so anyway, he said, look, you know, Punch will come out to your house, visit your parents Da, da, da. So I said, sure, okay, come on. So they came out and Punch said, yeah, we really think he's got a big future. And I'm, I'm saying to myself, I'm not ready to do this. But they said, look, tell you what, we'll give him, now these are the exact words. We'll give him $4,000 to sign, okay? And we'll give him 6500 to play in the Central League. That will be his minor league contract. You'd be in the Central League, you might be in the American League. And if he's there the second year, we'll give him 7000 okay? And if he makes the NHL within two years and he plays over 20 games, we'll give him another $2,000. And, you know, my mom and dad are there, and, you know, like we're of moderate means, and my dad's going, well, it's not bad to play hockey, and, you know, they're going to give you, like, 10 or 12 grand to play right off the bat, you know, is so I, I went, yeah, okay. So I'm going to sign. And he said, you know, this is going to be one of the highest paid minor league contracts we had. Okay. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> Jerry Meehan and I drive down to Tulsa. <laughs> I said, Jerry, you know, how much you get paid? 6,500. <laughs> We're all getting the same money. Right. Um, you know, and my my sort of thought to my parents was, I said, look, I can finish this year at university and I got a job lined up to teach at high school. I don't even have to get my teaching certificate and I'm going to make 5,300 bucks and I got the summer off, right? Yeah. My dad goes, you know what? You'll never make great money as a teacher. <laughs> he said, you need to go to school. But he said, you know what? Your mom's mother was a teacher and she never made any money at all. So that's, that wouldn't be my recommendation. And you know what? <laughs> Things happen. We'll talk but, about Tulsa. Yeah. Uh, you know, that team, 31 guys in that roster when you were there. I think there was one guy over the age of 23, Len Haley. And I think Bronco Harvath played a couple of games, but you guys were all young. I mean, all Johnny young. Ward, Jerry Meehan, Jim Dory, you know, yeah. the whole um, Jerry Unger. Um, uh, Ray that. Dupont is Ray Dupont. Ray Dupont right yeah. Was my Al neighbor. Smith. Yeah. Al Smith was our goalie. What a team! Oh. And 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 Len Comet Haley played in the Western League forever. That year he got thirty-seven goals. You know, a little short guy, bow-legged, but man, he played with Jerry. Me and Jerry Mean was his center. He couldn't miss, and he was tough as nails. Like he he'd take on anybody. So now how that's the Central League, Mike? Central League, yeah. yeah. That was the Central League, right? So yeah. they they had two farm teams essentially, Rochester and Tulsa, correct? Well, they had Rochester, Tulsa, they had an Eastern League team, and they also had a team in Victoria in the Western Hockey League. Oh. And they had the Phoenix Roadrunners. Because Walt McKechnie ended up going to the Phoenix Roadrunners for the year. Now when when did they end up getting a team in Cincinnati. Cincinnati, the, uh, well, I left the lease in 74, 75, I guess. 
and they didn't have a team, but they were approved for a franchise. So I ended up playing my first year in Vancouver with the Blazers with Joe Crozier. And then we opened up the next year in Cincinnati. No, but I mean like Johnny Bauer played in Cincinnati, correct? Before he came to the Leafs, was that an independent league or something? Or uh, you know what, I can't answer. I the only place I remember Johnny playing for was Cleveland. Played in Cleveland. Yeah. Oh, was it? He was, a, he was a Cleveland. Like he was oh, okay. a hockey hero in Cleveland sorry. when Punch brought him up. Okay, sorry. And he was thirty. He was My bad. I, I, he, he was thirty-two when he made. I got NHL. Cincinnati. I got Cincinnati mixed up with Cleveland. Yeah. My, My bad. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Well, his son plays in Cincinnati, so he's he's got. Yeah, Cincinnati I know. He's uh, got it on his, and he's going down there this week. So. He's going down there th Thursday, so he's got it on the brain. <laughs> now, the other guy that was down there with you was Pat Quinn. Yes, he. Now, interesting thing: Pat Quinn had played the year before with the Seattle Totems, and they won the Western Hockey League franchise. He moved back to Tulsa. He was going to school, and he got a job working for a multiple gas station operator, right? I don't know what, what he did, uh, whatever he did, operations or whatever. And then we had two or three injuries come up right off the bat. John McClellan was the coach. John right. knew him. John asked him to come and try out, come, come to the team. So he shows up at the rink and he's a big guy, right? Yeah. Like I'm 175. He probably oh, yeah. weighed 230 then, maybe 235 gets dressed, he goes out on the ice, and I'm watching him skate, and I'm going, oh, my God. Chips are flying everywhere. <laughs> and I didn't know him from Adam, but John says, look, Mike, you're going to play with him. So as God is my witness, Pat will even said this in his book. He saved my life twice. We play in Fort Worth. First game on the road, we bust in early. We have our $7 uh, game meal. Comes in in the room. The room's a tiny little room. He comes in. He's in one bed. I'm in the other. He's got the TV on. Pulls out a big stogie and he goes, I guess we got to get ready for the game. I'm like, I'd like to get some sleep, but hey, it's, it's your show. So we play that night and they had a guy on Fort Worth. His name was Lou Marcon. He looked like a gorilla that played hockey. His beard came right up around his eyes. He had a mono brow. He is a tough, tough dude. And he fancied himself as a bit of a puck handler, but he always kind of skated with his head down. So I'm playing the right side with Patty. And I said, you know, Patty, if you kind of step up on him a bit, okay, he's going to come across with his head down. I'm going to come across. I'm going to bury him, right? Because I like to hit in the open ice then. Sure enough, it happens right in Fort Worth, center ice, boom. I hit him. He loses his stick, right? He loses one of his gloves. Yeah. We go back to the bench, and Pat says, you better keep an eye out. He's going to come for it. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, God. Like, he's probably going to kill me. But anyway, so the next period starts. He gets the puck. He comes up to center ice, and he dumps it into my corner. Okay. Well, <laughs> never went back to help. So I go back as fast as I can. And I can feel him behind me. I can feel him behind me. I know he's right behind me. So I give a little room to the net and I cut close to the net to come out the other side. And I know he's right on me because I can feel a stick on me a bit. Right. Yeah. Whatever he was going to do. Okay. He came around behind the net charge, charging after me. And Pat just went like, boom. Hit him right in the kisser, right? Knocked him flat <laughs> on his ass. That was the end of it. The absolute end of it, right? Never, never had a problem the rest of the year, okay, with Fort Worth. But Pat was a great teammate. Uh, fantastic. Do anything to, to help the team win. And you know what? He played well in Toronto. He played well in Vancouver, right? And then he went to Atlanta, he was good in Atlanta, you know, and then he got his law degree and, you know, the rest of his career speaks for itself. Now you make the Leafs full time. Yeah. So yeah. how was your relationship with Punch? Uh, nothing but positive. Even though he was cheap, nothing but positive. I mean, he gave me a chance to play. <clears throat> he said, look, you're going to make mistakes. 
but you know what? Like you, you can play here, right? So just work hard. And, you know, unfortunately we got bounced out by Boston badly in the playoffs and they let punch go. But um, you know what? I, I can't say enough good things about him while, while he was with Toronto and how he treated me. Well, that's what we want to talk about is that the 69 playoffs, obviously the famous, the game was six, nothing near the end of the second period and the Pat Quinn hit maybe yeah. give us your version of what you saw from watching that one. With I was, I was, a, I was on the bench watching Bobby came down the right side of the ice. Right. And he cut into the middle, right in front of the penalty box. And Pat came across and, and buried him, buried him. He had his head down. Like it was a clean check. It wasn't, it wasn't dirty. He hit him clean and Bobby was like out. And then all hell broke loose with fans and shit. And, you know, we were trying to get out of the rink and they were throwing stuff at us and they had cops around. I don't, cops didn't look like they were trying too hard. Um, And then we came back to Toronto and, you know, you got to give Bobby credit. You know, the game started, Pat got on the ice and Bobby dropped the gloves with Pat. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't a fight. It was more like a wrestling match, but. You know, that said a lot for Bobby, but it said a lot for Pat, too. You know, Pat was one of those guys that you could sit with for hours upon hours and talk about hockey. Like, he was just, he loved the game, and he just loved to talk about hockey. I remember, I think it was actually in Niagara Falls. We were down here for an event, and we sat up till 3 o'clock in the morning talking about hockey. And, uh Boy, I'll tell you, the stories he was telling me, I was like, oh, my God. I'm glad I didn't play back then. <laughs> well, you know what, Mike? Speaking of the stories, we'll get to that. There's someone asking about Pat Quinn in a second. But going back to that game, the first game, the 10 nothing game, like yeah. what, where were the guys in the bench all thinking as this was all going on around you? Then Forbes Kennedy, I, I don't oh. think it's been matched since. Four majors in one sequence of fights. In one fight. And, and his last major – was with Johnny McKenzie, who had played with him. And I ended up playing with Johnny later in my career. And Johnny grabbed a hold of him and said, look, Forbesy, just hang on to me. Like, it's over. It's <laughs> over. Like, he could hardly, he couldn't lift his arms. But you're, you're like, this is a part that people don't, <laughs> don't. So the next day, uh, Forbes has a meeting with Clarence Campbell. Okay. <laughs> this is a great, best line of, so it's at the hotel. We're staying at the Copley Plaza. Forbes comes in and he's got his uh, cowboy boots on and his leather jacket and, you know, looking like a PEIer for sure, right? And so <laughs> they, they interview him. They interview him and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, he gives his side of the story, what happened, uh, da, 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 da. And, of course, they listen and uh, – so they're talking, and so they right at the end of the interview, they said to him, "So uh, Forbes, have you got anything more to say?" He said, "You know, Mr. Campbell, uh, I don't have really any time to say anymore because I got to get ready. I got a game tonight." <laughs> <laughs> and by by the way, in PEI we didn't wear cowboy boots. Okay, <laughs> just just yeah. so you know. <laughs> Now there's other there's other these other tales too about what happened following the first game about Pat Quinn. Now Bert, Brian Burke has told us a story about you know that after the game Pat went out with some of his buddies. He went to the Fours, which is for those who don't know, it was the famous bar across in Boston Garden. It's actually there, still there today, and fully expecting to get into a brawl after doing what he did to Bobby Orr. And he yeah. was actually disappointed when he went into the bar and nobody did anything except tell him it was a good hit. <laughs> now, what truth or fault? Like, what did you guys actually do after the game? Well, as I remember it, we got an escort to the bus, got on the bus, and went back to the hotel. Now, nobody ever checked who went on the bus or who didn't go on the bus. So, yeah. you know, Pat could have gone across the street, no problem, because he had he had friends everywhere, right? He was just one of those kind of guys. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, yeah, Pat was a stand-up guy. And you know what? As a coach, you know, um, a lot of people, you know, good and bad, but I'll tell you one thing. He defended his players, right? Like he he never, ever blasted guys in the paper, ever, to the press or whatever. Have a bad game? 
you want to talk about something else. That's just the way he was. So, yeah. Now, when all that was going on, what were the players saying to each other? And what was Punch trying to like? He lose ten nothing and six nothing. What can he say to you guys? I mean, you come back to Toronto. What was kind of the? How are the players responding to all of this stuff going on? Well, well we kept saying to ourselves, God, I think we can play better. I think we can play a little bit better. You know, yeah. and, I mean, Pierre Plot was on the team, right? He was a Norris Trophy winner. You know, and he was like, he was my roommate. He was embarrassed. Like, he was embarrassed by the way we played. And uh, he said, you know, like, we got to play better. And we did play better at home. Yep. But they they were just, their team was just too good for us. Too good. Too big. Too tough along the boards. You know, we didn't, we didn't have the, we didn't have the manpower to, to do it. And you know what, you know, Rick will tell you this in the playoffs, unless, unless you're tough along the boards and you can outfight players for pucks, you can't win. You can't win. You can look at all the guys with all the skill, but when you look in the playoffs and you see how much of that skill actually comes to the forefront, it's not nearly as much as the skill working down low along the boards, being checked, battling for loose pucks. And we, we, we just didn't have it. And they, I mean, they had a good team. People forget how good they were. Yeah. God, you know, or get oh, on the oh, ice, yeah. pick it up, <laughs> go all the way. Okay. Yeah. What's next? Oh, give it to Aspo. He, he'll only get 70, right? <laughs> Hodge get 40. Yeah. Freddie Stanfield on the point, you know, get 30 goals. And the third line was uh, uh, Derek Sanderson, Sanderson, Eddie Westfall, and... Maybe Don Marcotte? Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, we're not – we couldn't – we weren't good they, enough to beat them. They weren't, the long they weren't too bad, were they? <laughs> now, Mike, back in, Toronto, back in Toronto, you guys play better. You lose both games. The final game you guys lose. I don't think you guys even loosen your skates and Stafford Smythe is racing to find punch and gasses him. Gas right guys, after the game. How did you guys find out? And I walked into the trainer's room and Punch said, I'm fired. That's what he said. I'm really? fired. Just like that. That's all he said. Yeah. I'm fired. And that was the end of it. That was the end of it. So wow. did anybody in management come and speak to you guys about what was going to happen? No. No. That you just went that home? Didn't, and that that didn't camp. exist in those days. Unreal ice squid. <laughs> Think about uh, that. Well, I'll be honest with you. It wasn't a whole lot different when I started. Um, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of communication between the brass and the players or anything. It was it was pretty much the same. But uh, it, everything has changed. The game's yeah. changed. The communication has changed. Everything has changed drastically since Mike started and even when I started. Well, Mike, so, I was going to say, actually, for you, uh, then the next spring, or the next fall, pardon me, uh, Johnny McClennan comes in. Somebody you know, so must have gave you a little bit of confidence going there, a little, put you a little bit at ease, because he obviously knew your game quite well. Yeah, Johnny came in, but then was, uh, <laughs> you know. Didn't work. Didn't work, right? And then we had the WHA stepped yeah. in, and we lost a pile of good players to WHA when we were just starting to build our build our business a bit and uh you know we're all getting better and all of a sudden now we we lost five or six players right off the bat and like it's like okay what do we do now and and the team was i mean we had a we had a bad team we just had a bad team and, well like uh, don't forget also two expansion was only a couple years into making too so there's yep. other six teams that are searching out players every day and every yep. week so lots mm -hmm. of competition for bodies so well, did how did you end up in the WHA with Vancouver? Now you didn't, did you get approached the first couple of years when it started or did you wait a little yes. bit? You waited, yeah, obviously. I, I got approached by um, uh, Minnesota, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And Harry Neal was in, was there. And uh, so they came, Glenn Sonmore was the GM and they came and tried to recruit me in 72 and I went, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it's, I just didn't think I, I didn't want to make the move. Right. And they offered me good money was more money than I was making for the Leafs. And I thought I'd just ride it out. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, my career turned 
turned around quite a bit. And then in 74, I had a really good year. And then Cincinnati came and approached me about signing a seven-year contract um, with the, with a big signing bonus. So, you know, Al Eagleson was my lawyer and I went like, Al, I'm, I'm not going to, and I didn't want to leave Toronto. I wasn't looking to get the same amount of money from Toronto. I, I called Red Kelly and said, I didn't want to leave. I called uh, Jim Gregory and he said, Mike, there's only, this is how much we can afford to pay you. We can't pay you any more than that. And I just said, well, Jim, then you know what? I got to go. I got to leave. And so I left. Now, in retrospect, was it the best thing I ever did? Probably not. I mean, the WHA was no fun. And, um, you know, it was, um, you know, and I, I knew we had a good team. And that was the, the sad point of it all. I knew we had a good team and we were going to get better. And, you know, for the two years I was in the WHA, I wasn't part of that. Now, you went to Vancouver first, did you not? Yeah, Vancouver Blazers. Yeah, now, when you got there, you make the jump to WHA, (laughs) what was the first glaring thing playing in the league that told you it was no longer the NHL? Uh, Travel, hotels, schedule, um, team finances, um, you know, great, good good group of people, great people. You know, great teammates, but you know, you know, you you play ten games in fourteen days and travel all across North America, and your tenth game is at home on a Sunday afternoon at two o'clock. That's just the way it was, you know. And teams were moving around. Michigan Stags got moved to Baltimore. Teams were in and out. Some teams wouldn't get, you know, wouldn't make their payroll. Uh, I remember when guys were in uh, Baltimore, when Michigan got moved there, there were guys that used to leave practice early on Monday and go to the bank. Okay. To cash their checks right away because they knew the guys, if they waited till the end of practice, there were some guys that cash the checks wouldn't cash. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, so then you went, then you ended up in Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a brand new rink, and, new owners. Uh, Terry Slater was our coach, good guy, but uh, not a great coach. Um, and we didn't have a very again. We didn't have a very good team. We had we had very did, mediocre. Did Rick Dudley play with you? <laughs> Duds played. Duds played great. Duds Duds got fifty yeah. his first year there. Yeah, he was a. I mean. He's a driver, right? He he worked hard. Yeah. But, you know, like we just, we didn't have a good enough team. That was the long and the short of it. And, you know, I wasn't happy there. Uh, Terry Slater was our coach and I really liked Terry, but, you know, I liked him as a person, but he didn't, he didn't bring much to the table in terms of being a coach. And so then the Leafs uh, ended up uh, working a deal to get the rights to Randy Carlisle uh from Cincinnati and then as part of the deal I ended up coming back to Toronto. Well on that note, now Harold was pretty vocal about players jumping the WHA, about the league in itself. Did mm-hmm. you have any run-ins with Harold over you leaving and then coming back? Uh just the cold shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> well Squid, you know all about that one too. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean well, I, it's funny because I remember, uh, I think it was my third year that I scored 50 and I, we were getting on a plane and, and Gary Lehman was behind me and I guess a reporter had asked, Harold said, Rick drives contracts up. You're going to have to, you know, pay him a lot more money. And he said, uh, we were walking up the stairs and I don't know what happened, but he goes, he's not going to get another goddamn penny from me. And he said, Gary, Turned around, looked at him, and then looked at me, and I, I just went, whatever. You know, I mean, <laughs> that was Harold, and you, you had to understand. It's the way Harold, he was, yeah. It's the way he was, and and everything was geared towards getting on the front page of the sports in every newspaper every day, yeah. and he pretty much accomplished that, you know, with all the crazy stuff that he did, and 
that was just what it was like playing for Harold Ballard. Yeah. And, well, Mike, I was going to ask you, know, you also, uh, going back to playing in Cincinnati and Vancouver in the WHA, uh, yeah, outside, you mentioned a couple of the, any sort of bizarre things that just left you shaking your head besides the obvious stuff you kind of mentioned there that's, or any brawls in particular that you recall from some of those days? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, when you looked at the really good teams, right. Um, yeah. like Winnipeg jets, they didn't take any penalties. They just had guys that could play hockey. And they were the, you know, the class of the league when it came to hockey IQ, et cetera, et cetera. You look at the Houston Arrows where Gordy Howe was. Mm -hmm. They had a veteran team, all good players, and they played like a unit, right? They played like a unit. Now, not great stars, but they played really well. And you can see they won the AVCO, AVCO Cup a couple of times. And then there were other teams that were just like, they were just all goons. That's all they were. They were just goons. You know, you play Quebec Nordiques and you go, yeah, they had Mark Tardif and they had, they had a lot of good players. Um, but, you know, they had like five or six goons. All they want, they just want to go out and, and hurt people. Um, you know, oh, yeah. it, it was a good, it was a good learning experience, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, there was a lot more talent in the NHL and, you know, you, you know, you had to deal with the, the broad street bullies, but you know, not every second team wasn't the broad street bullies. Yeah. You know, but that's what it was like. In the w -H -H. You'd see guys on teams yeah. and you go, how'd that guy ever make the team? That guy can't even ski. <laughs> right. You know, he's going around and I'm going, Oh my God, stay out of him. Just don't even go. Don't let him get near you. Right. So um, good league. And you know what? One thing about the WHA, he made a lot better lives for a lot of hockey players, that league. You know, guys mm -hmm. who got a lot more money. You know, Jerry Cheevers went to Cleveland, was there two years. And, yeah. you know, as soon as Boston got a chance, Boston jumped on him right away. Bernie Bernie Perrant mm -hmm. was going to sign with the Miami Screaming Eagles. We lost him for $5,000 a year in Toronto, the year he went. Okay. $5,000 a year on a three-year deal. He's going to sign with Miami Screaming Eagles. He signed with the Philadelphia Firebirds instead. The first year they were in the league, they couldn't draw flies. Mm -hmm. They moved to Vancouver. Okay? Yeah. Bernie, okay, had a no-movement clause in his contract. Okay? As soon as they went to move him, he voided his contract. And Philly signed him to a big contract, right? And the rest is history, right? Yeah. You know, Vesna Trophy winner, Stanley Cup winner. You know, so, you know, it, it was good for a lot of players, a lot of players who would have never, ever got a chance to play, you know, and make yeah. decent money. That's great. Yeah, it also, I think it also really helped a lot of young guys that signed as underage guys and, and got to play pro and then eventually went on to the NHL and became good players. Absolutely. I mean, you know, look at Birmingham had Langway, uh, Mark Napier, Kenny Linsman. Uh, they had a lot of guys that went on and, you know, yeah. had great careers in the national hockey league. Yeah. It opened the doors so it for a lot them. of players that would have taken a long time yeah. for them to make the NHL. Yep. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, Mike, also, now you grew up in the Toronto area, so you're aware of the Maple Leafs, but and you knew the regard that Toronto's held by fans and the, by the, the media and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it, the white noise, as you, if you want to call it. And being around the Marty's, you would experience some of them being around the gardens. But once you became a Maple Leaf, left and then came back, what was, like, was there something that stood out to you would never have guessed as being a part of a Maple Leaf? And I, it could have been anything from the recognition and, as I mentioned, the media or just even how guys in the room acted, even though they were held in such godlike fashion by everybody around and they still bitched and complained or something. Well, I, I mean, Mike, uh, no team, no team has players that love every moment. 
yeah. from being on that team. There's always guys that are going to bitch and complain about something. But, you know, you know, my experience in Toronto, when you got to see guys that were real pros, I'm yeah. talking real pros, like, you know, Davey Keon might, might not have been the most engaging guy in the world, but you know what? He came to play every game. He came yeah. to practice, to practice every practice, worked mm-hmm. his ass off. And, you know, many times I've told the story when punch was there, we'd be playing Montreal. I remember hearing him one time outside the dressing room. We're playing in Montreal. He said to punch, I want to play against Bellevue tonight, you know, and that's what he, he never wanted to play against third liners. He wanted to play against Makita. He wanted to play against Esposito, take on all those tough, mm-hmm. all those tough tasks, right? George Armstrong, you know, we gave him the name digger, right? People go digger. What's digger. If you were in trouble right near the end of the game and it was a close game, Without even thinking, if he was on the ice, you whipped it around to the right side where he was, and it wouldn't matter if there were two or three guys on him, he would get it out, right? And you know what? A very unassuming guy who looked like he couldn't skate, you know, but you see guys skating beside him, you go, like, his legs are flying all over the place. That guy's not catching him. And he had great hockey skills. Like, he could shoot and handle a puck. You know, one of his famous plays was to drag his right leg behind him, take the pass off his back leg, right, while he was skating and push it up to his stick. I never saw that before, yeah. right? I'm thinking, that guy can do that, right? You know? I guess that's why he played 21 years with the yeah. Leafs, right? He, he was a great – and he, was a, he had time for everybody. Whether you were the 16th guy in the team or you were the top guy in the team, he gave you time, right? It made you feel important. Davey, uh, was, a different, Davey about... was a different captain. Davey yeah. led by example, right? He didn't want to be everybody's friend, but, it, you know, he, when he went out there, he, you work like I work, okay, I got no complaints. If you go out there and you, you know, screw the dog, yeah, I'm not going to be happy. Yeah, I remember uh, I had a – a great encounter when I, I, I got drafted by Sherbrooke in the Quebec League because I was in PEI, but I also got drafted by the Marlies in Toronto. And Armstrong and Johnny Bauer came out to visit me and tried to talk me into coming to Toronto. And I think I was their fourth or pick or something, and I was fourth overall by Sherbrooke. Sherbrooke was like 100,000 people. Toronto was what two and a half million or something, and I yeah. figured, yeah, I think I'm probably better off to go to Sherbrooke, where I'm probably going to get a better chance to play. Mm-hmm. But I was like, holy cow! Like Johnny Bauer and George Armstrong are in my house; yeah. <laughs> they're talking to my parents, and like oh, yeah. it was, it was pretty surreal yeah. uh, back then. Like you know, I was a 16 year old kid or 17 year old kid, and it was pretty unbelievable. Yeah, that, that that would be something for God. Gary Lehman talked about that too, looking behind the glass during the warm-up and there's, you know, Dick Duff and Johnny Bauer or, or somebody along those lines standing there watching them and he's yeah. thinking, oh my goodness, they're coming out here to see me. How can I not play for those guys? <laughs> so Mike, we want to thank you so much for joining us. We've just no got a problem. couple minutes left here. So, hey, great to see, great to see Squid without that beard too. <laughs> Squid, you, you look 15 years younger. Hey, but just a uh, final note, Mike. We all so much more I want to get to with you, but one, uh, two guys I'd like you to, t- to touch on before we go: Jim Gregory and Gus Bodner. Okay, Gus Bodner, uh, one of the nicest people I'd ever met. Right, um, a real players coach. You know, we'd be practicing at at the gardens, and Jim Gregory would be up in the stands, right, and he'd be yelling down at us on the ice about not doing something and, and you'd be skating by Gus and Gus would go, <clears throat> what does he know about hockey? Right. He never played. Anywhere, right? <laughs> you know, and it, but laughing while he said it. Right. Yeah. And Jim, <clears throat> you know what, Jim, uh, I mean, he was the general manager, but one of my best friends ever uh, kept in touch with him, you know, all my life. 
um, a real player's general manager, right? Like he really, really felt for players, um, you know, and he learned the business from the ground up. I mean, he was a trainer at St. Mike's. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> he worked his way up. He was smart, um, put a lot of good people around him, um, made some good deals, uh, you know, you know, went to work for the NHL, did a great job at the NHL. But you know what? He was a he was a superhuman being. That's the best I can say about him. He was just a superhuman being. It's not the first time we've heard that, by the way. Yeah. 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 He heard that quite a bit. But Mike, one one last thing. I just want to sure. there's a you were both with the Leaf uh, president of Leaf alumni and we also worked with the NHL alumni. Yeah. There's a lot of things that those organizations do that people aren't aware of. I don't know why there isn't more said about what the alumni does, because there's a lot of great things that the alumni do. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think people know about it that much. Well, Rick, I mean, uh, like you, scholarships. You have, yeah, you have a pretty good idea what the Leaf alumni is involved yeah. with. And, yeah. and you know what? It's um, yeah, it's a story that's not well publicized. It needs to be. But but it has it significance, you know, far reaching significance in the community. Right. In the mm -hmm. call it the Toronto community, the Ontario community or whatever. Uh, the NHL alumni, you know, I was the chairman there for seven years. Mark Napier was the was the president. Um, they've done a lot of good stuff to help players, especially after they're out of the game, right? You know, mm -hmm. counseling, all sorts of opportunities, education, uh, job opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. It's still building. Um you know, they've still got, you know, it's, it's an, it's an upward struggle all the time. Right. I mean, I look, I always look back in the past and I look at guys that were successful and, you know, if you look at the track record Marvin Miller had in major league baseball, okay. That's where the NHL alumni has to get, you know, where Marvin Miller stood up mm -hmm. to the owners and said, if you don't do exact, if you don't do exactly for the players that played in the past, what you do for the players today, then we're going on strike. And the owner said, you'll never go on strike. And guess what? They went they on did. strike and guess all those, all those people that played, okay, got the benefit of that. And uh, I think, you know, there might come a time that might happen. I don't think it will. I think there's a, a better, a, a more diplomatic way to, to get things done today. But you know, from the day the NHL alumni started and to where it is today, I mean, there's been a big change and it's all been positive for the players. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I told Squid a story off the air before we came on, Mike, and I just said, you know, it's funny talking about the alumni. Well, we've got to bring this up to Mike, you, that uh, you know, there needs to be more publicity what you guys do. And as a matter of fact, well, Deb and I were hosting something for Canadian Olympic athletes at our place one night. Yeah. And Kevin McGuire walks in. So I know he comes up, hey, Mike, you know, how's it going all that? And I said, hey, Kev, great to have you here. But, you know, geez, I didn't know uh, didn't know you'd be here. He goes, well, actually, we have an involvement, alumni, with some of the Canadian athletes through CanFund. I go, yeah. you do? Yeah. He said, people got to know this. Yeah. Right? And he said, oh, there's all kinds of stuff we do. And he said, we've yeah. got, I said, you guys have got to get out there and get the people to know that you guys are just more than some sort of an organization. You actually do give back. Yeah, I, I think, you know, sometimes, Mike, that can go – it can work the other way though. Right. I mean, yeah, he, we talked about that part, you know, you, you, you support some things that are important to you where you can make a difference, right. Not just write a check, throw it in and say, no. Okay. Like we're going to help you out. Okay. Now, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with what we do to help you? Right. And, you know, for us to say, you know, I might be speaking out of turn for us to go and give United Way a donation for 50 or 60 grand or 100 grand or whatever from the Leaf alumni, it just gets lost in the yeah in the minutia of the United yeah. Way. But if we give 100 grand to a specific charity, it's a huge impact for them, right. you know, for people that have a tough time getting money. And that's where I think the direction has been. 
Okay, with the LEAF alumni, um, I can't really speak for the NHL alumni because I've been out for quite a while, but I think that's sort of the the idea with the, the LEAF alumni have. Let's go and put money where we can make an impact. And you know what? They've done a good job of doing that. Here. Yeah. Well. Done a really good job. They yeah. uh, they do a lot of things and and uh, help a lot of people. Uh, yeah. In the and help a lot of players. Unbelievable. I mean, and help a lot, a lot of players, players too. Yeah. You know, that's another thing. Well, I mean, just and and one team that's four scholarships a here? Out of Montreal Canadiens. Like you never hear. Oh yeah. Of any players that are in trouble with the Montreal Canadiens because they basically go yeah. out of their way to make sure that every player is comfortable in his retirement. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And that's well, what we want with yeah. the Leaf alumni too. We want that. That's great. That's really good stuff. Well, Mike, listen, uh, yeah. it's been great talking to you. Great seeing you again. Uh, and hope we can run into you again. Yeah, I'm not going to try and break into your house to steal any memorabilia, okay? <laughs> I promise. Well, I appreciate it. We don't have it anymore. Well, I don't have the house. We're in a carnival now. So, you're, oh, there you go. There's the thing. How about that picture? There oh, you are. Oh, my God. And you're on the door. <laughs> Mike, Rick, thanks very much for having me, okay? Great having you, Rick, Mike. Oh, Mike, it was a pleasure. Thank you.